This is a great drive to have, actually, considering. Yep. Welcome back to the Keen Light Podcast, the premier whiskey podcast. Now with mention of whiskey in its title. Hey, this is Jake coming live from my basement in Chicago, Illinois, on a month they call Bourbon Heritage Month. So who better than anybody else talk about bourbon than <laughs> a Scotsman named Callum O'Donnell? A Scotsman drinking Irish. Yes. Got him. <laughs> yeah. A very, a very nice Irish. This is true. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we are hanging out with my dog to talk about Callum's perspective of the bourbon world <laughs> since moving to America. What six years ago? Um, five years yeah, ago. Yeah, five years ago. Selling, um, selling scotch, selling a little bourbon. I, I definitely was just totally taken aback. Being on a bourbon podcast. This isn't a bourbon <laughs> podcast. Don't ever say that. <laughs> If anyone's out there and thinks it's a bourbon podcast, turn me off. Turn me off. Um, turn them on first, though. Turn me on. Um, no, I think... Play with my nuts. I definitely got that. Um, <laughs> I definitely got the the typical... The first couple of bourbons I tried, I was like, oh, man, this is disgusting. Really? Yeah, like, it was just so hot. What do you try? I can't remember what it was. Um, I, I, what I, I do have a very vivid memory, and I think I've told this story before... 2016 Christmas 2016 I went to Calgary in Canada uh-huh. um, my buddy Dave Lynch put me up for the Christmas period still on my phone call uh, still on my phone call and he he, um, he put me up and we had we finished a litre bottle of Woodford between the two of us in how long? Like three a... hours four hours oh and yeah, we do woke it. up the next day and it was one of the worst hangovers I've ever had. We just, it was Christmas, I think it was Christmas Day. Or was it, it was the day, maybe Christmas Eve. But we woke up the next day and stayed in bed all day. It was absolutely hard. Together? Yeah, I mean, we've changed positions a lot, obviously. Good. Because um, you can't just do one position all day. You get cramp. Um. Mm. Weird. <laughs> Especially hungover. I've done that with uh, with Maker's Mark on a camping trip. It was my friend and I, we were on a, I think like a week long camping trip through the whole country, mm-hmm. maybe like 10 days. And the last night we camped out before we got a hotel on our last night of the trip, we just drank everything we had for some reason, which was like Bud Lights. I remember having like some torpedoes and uh, we had a bottle of Makers. It wasn't the alcohol. It was the Cheez-Its I ate the next day that made me like sick because that's the only thing we had. For food, and I just I can't eat cheeses now. I mean, I, I presume it was probably a combination of the. But the alcohol is fine. I still drink Bud Light all the time. Big fan, and Maker's Mark I adore. The first time I had Maker's Big was fan. 2015. Hmm. Um, I was in. I was doing these. Um, was it 2014? I was doing these camps, these summer camps in Spain, and hmm. they would bring Americans over who were like college age kids and they would bring like late high school, early college age kids in Spain to the camps together. Yeah. And everybody had to speak English all week. Mm. And so the Spanish kids would come on a lot and they would play games and blah, blah, blah. And I was one of the like camp counselors. When we finished that camp, one of the other counselors was this American guy called Julian Vasquez. He was from New Jersey and he's like 23, 24. And he was like, oh, come on, we'll go out in Madrid. When we got back to Madrid and we went out and we must have had like three or four ma- like makers just straight. And I was about 165 pounds then. Mm-hmm. And it went straight to my head. Um, but I liked that though. I liked the taste of that. 
because before that, all I'd really drank from like the whiskey side of the world was Scotch and Irish. The only Irish that I drank was Jameson. Mm-hmm. Well, so, back then that was basically what everybody did. Yeah, because like, and in, in the bourbon world or even the American whiskey world, whether it was like a Jack or whatever, you you could only really get the big name brands right outside of the U.S. I and feel inside the U.S. It was I mean it was catching on. Don't you're on the whiskey boom was had began commenced. But at the same time, there wasn't the education out there that there is now that's readily available both yeah. online through, you know, just writing, now through podcasts and Instagram and TikTok. And then obviously the ambassador marketing, brand marketing world has exploded too. Um, I mean, more the, jobs. even the last, I feel like even the last five years. Yeah. You know, and we, we talked about this a little bit at the round table and I know that you guys went through it on the, um, the single barrel pod. But that sort of level of saturation where it's like, right now there's more bourbons than out in the market than what have ever been probably. It's amazing how I'll still get fed an Instagram ad or someone will post a bottle of something I've never heard of. And then I'll, oh. I'll click on the distillery link, then go to their website. They've been around for like eight years. I'm like, where, where, is this, where does this even come from? <laughs> it's, so, that- it's so immense with the amount of distilleries that there are out there. Even when I first started working... F- my first full-time job in 2014 or 2015 in whiskey in whiskey yeah and the spirits world has been dabbling in it since like 2010 11 with you know whatever creative work i was doing but it, it there was it was amazing to see how many distilleries would pop up every like six months and next thing you know they'd be on the market be a white dog or this was just when social media advertising was starting to get pretty popular too. Is that, a, is that an official list somewhere of American distilleries? Yeah, I know I've looked it up. I haven't looked it up in a while, but I think the last time I looked up, there's like 2,000 and like 32 distilleries. And those are those include everything though? I think it's everything, yeah. 2,032, that is mad. There's like 140 in Scotland. Is that it? There used, to be, there used to be less. Like when I first started working in Aberlour, it was like 118. Yeah, there's quite a few popping up now. uh, And yeah, and also like some of the distilleries in Scotland, they're some some of the biggest distilleries. I remember I didn't even know until I met the Thompson brothers that new distilleries are popping up in Scotland. I (laughs) I just kind of thought like, oh, they're just stuck in their old world and you have the Brooklotics of the world that are revived. But other than that... I mean, look at places like, even like obviously the the Glenlivets of the world, they have 15 stills. Yeah. That's one five in case anyone can't hear my accent. But 15... And then... Just you know, for Glenlivet? Just for the Glenlivet. Wow. Mental. Is that for, and mental. That's for all variations of Glenlivet? Yeah, and also that I think, I think you know, despite what Glenlivet might say, I think there's probably a lot, or not a lot of it, but there's probably some of it that goes into blends. Right. Like you look at like the Chivas Regals or the Ballantines of the world, there's probably a bit of it goes in there. But, you know, even Aberlour, look at Aberlour, there's been a massive renovation there over the last year and a bit. Um, mm. Graham Cruikshank's been... He's had his hard hat on and he's high vis vest. Yeah, you know? yeah. Working in true. the <laughs> working in the construction site of uh, of Aberlour Distillery, but it's it's close to being finished now. So cool. If anyone's headed out there, give me a shout because we'll it, need to put you in touch with Graham. It's fascinating too. I was just reading about Heaven Hill the other day because they were really a repeal brand that began after Prohibition. They've done really well. They have and. Their playbook was, this is in 1934, is the exact same thing what a distillery would do today. They started distilling their own juice, didn't buy anything, didn't source it at all. They released a two-year-old whiskey under a different name. 
they created the mystique of a heritage by like finding some distiller who had owned the plot of land they built their distillery right. on, whose name some was obscure La- mocking last boy. name Heaven Hill, yeah, which is more important than the actual truth, the the fake heritage. Mm. You can buy your heritage. And this is really how marketing began in America too, was through dis- distilleries in the 40s and 50s. Anyway, so they, I think it was called Bourbon Falls, their first whiskey. So it wasn't Heaven Hill. It wasn't called Heaven Hill. It was distilled by Heaven Hill. Released a two-year-old whiskey until they could get a four-year-old bottle and bond. Yeah, it's exact, and they would they would do uh, single barrel releases to big liquor stores and to businesses, or like big bulk. We didn't like call it single barrel, but same sort of programming, and that's the exact same thing. Literally, eighty years later, seven or ninety years later, that you'd be doing in two thousand twenty three. You have to ask, right? Like, it it's it's one of those industries that's so unique. Like, it's uniquely motivated to have these small local spots pop up like Mm -hmm. for example you wouldn't obviously with snacks and things like that that's happened in like local restaurants that are that serve you know oh a local clientele become like a brew pub or something yeah but like when we're talking about whiskey you know you have whiskeys like you know pinhook or even like dance and go right that become huge in in regions that are smaller than just the basic locality like you you know for example, Wisconsin, Chicago, yeah. like parts of the Midwest. Like, would you could you see like a pop doing that? A soda? Yeah. Like, are there any sodas out there that are doing that? I don't know. Fandango? <laughs> <laughs> nah, I've never heard of it, right? But like, obviously, I'm not a soda pro. They're in the movie theaters. That was like the big thing was Fandango. Oh. Yeah. A great, great name. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Because so, what other business is doing things at this level kind of thing? You know, like I guess in a way, like a farm. If you're like like a local farm producer, yeah. produce, yeah, that would that would probably be it. And it's just I look at it and it's bourbon. Obviously, yeah, I, I, we're think, about I, bourbon think, heritage, I think what other commodity would be similar like, into like let's own our backyard, let's expand out, and then we'll have like these little pockets of the Mer- of America that we're really popular in. And just kind of neg- not neglect, but just not put our focus into the rest of the country. Anything else? Because we're making money right here and there. The, the the only thing that I can think of is kind of tied to it, which is like these small local chains of either retail mm. stores or grocery stores or pubs or things like that. Yeah, you know, like you you look at like a here. Let's look at like a you know the Fado. You know what's interesting is there are clothing stores to do that. Um, you're the fashion guy. Clearly. so much clearly um <laughs> there is a there was a small t-shirt store called smash in des moines and you know this brand because it's in chicago now but it's called ray gun oh yeah yeah of so course. it started in des moines as a small like literally not much bigger than my basement it started before that the like, guy was selling t-shirts in on new, the street or something yeah he went to brown university i think and he started selling them in new york city and it's like these little puns of t-shirts and then he, he moved back to des moines and started this clothing store. And it's kind of like a vintage upcycled store as well. Then they expanded and they got sued. Embroidery, is it? Yeah. And they, nice, got, yeah. they got sued for the name for Smash. <laughs> Some guy had a t-shirt store called Smash somewhere else in the world. What an country. Yeah. So he, he called it Raygun. Um, did some modeling for him. I've seen Reagan around. Right. So now they're up here, but they, they expanded all to the Midwest. Like they were in Madison, Iowa City, Kansas right. City. And they never went to like a Texas or like a... And they might now. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Like Chicago's pretty big, but it's also only three hours away from Iowa City. Yeah. It's like, let's keep owning our backyard. How many Iowans or how many kids from Iowa City moved to Chicago after graduation? Yeah. And it's like, I like for example, 
because of America's ability to create wealth and people have wealth here and like there's I feel like there's also this <laughs> I think that kind of goes into what the conversation we were having before we turned the microphones on about contrived wealth <laughs> yeah so there's also this thing as well like about Americans like their things you yeah. know Americans are get sentimental about things like it's very in back home in Scotland no one has like a uh, cork photo board on the wall that has their first tickets from their concert or whatever, mm. you know? Whereas, like, Americans like that. Nostalgia. This, the nostalgia, like, yeah, oh, I remember when we did... Obviously, the Brits and the Scots love our nostalgia as well. But No, there is there's a, there is theories about how like, we're such a young country that we bleed for nostalgia. Right, it, It's but it's crazy about the amount of people here that I meet mm -hmm. that have things that they've had for years and... Honestly, like a lot of time I just be like, fuck that, I'm fucking throwing it away. But people keep it. They like now things like, you know, your wedding ring and your and famous photos or things that have, you know, obviously have been given to you, gifted to you, books or whatever it is. Fine, I get it. Yeah, yeah. But like that's also something there's something to be said there in the bourbon world. Like they love collecting these bottles. Like mm. and you see it a bit in Asia, there are these big whiskey collections. Yeah. But back home there's I mean, you could probably count on one hand the amount of people that have like tens of thousands of pounds worth in whiskey collections. You know, I'm sure there's probably rich people that have stuff they don't know. Yeah. yeah. But here it's a thing. Right. Like, Everyone has like a back bar. Everybody has a bourbon collection here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you should see this bottle I got. Oh, I remember when we did this and we bought that and we drank this. And it's like, that's also all part and part, like part and parcel of all these small businesses that kind of grow in their backyard because they have their own limited edition that's only available in Iowa City or whatever. You yeah. Know? I remember when Jameson did the Chicago specific bottling. The Caskmates. Yeah, and it had that Chicago label on it. Yeah. I remember thinking, I was like, man, that would never work in Scotland or in, or in or in, even in Ireland, right? Like, Well, it's also only Chicago because no one else celebrates their flag like we do. Oh man, and St. Paddy's as well. Like he right. is just fucking. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. But you could tie it to like sports teams and every individual. Yeah, market. And, and the four stars is so unique. You know. True. Yeah, it is. Yeah, definitely. It looks great on the flag and everything. No, that's an interesting point you bring up though, because even personally, I keep thinking about like, why do I have so much whiskey? Well, you just. We just talked about this beforehand. Yeah. So it's like, how much shit do you need to be yeah. a whiskey ambassador? Like, yeah. I'm sitting behind me. I was showing my, so for everybody listening, my dad called me on uh, a video call just before this and I was showing him uh, Jake's collection of whiskey and my dad was just like, holy shit. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, the, love, I love that he's ordered them in height. <laughs> <laughs> the sad thing is like most of it's just been given to me. Yeah. Or like gifted or traded. Barely. Yeah, I mean, like we bought, there's like a lot of, no, I guess not, I was going to say a lot of the scotch we bought, but no, a lot of that's from the Beam Centauri days. So, not my days. Um, but Unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, or it's like you just trade or you go to distillery and people, you know, they don't pay us in money for this podcast, they pay us in whiskey. I remember as well <clears throat> when Danny, when Danny was trying to get rid of some of his bourbons. Oh yeah, and I have them. <laughs> yeah, and like there's some over there that I think you traded like a bottle of Star Wars for some stuff. Yeah, I might have uh, won that trade. <laughs> there might be a bottle over there that's worth at least $2,300. Yeah, I wonder if, you know, if there's anyone out there. I owe, I owe Danny a, a vest, or not a vest, an apron. I wonder if there's anyone out there listening to this, tell us your best trade. Or message Jake and say like, man, like one time I got this bottle of $500 and I gave the guy a Ray gun t-shirt 
<laughs> I think I gave Brittany's uncle 20 bucks for that that uh, old granddad that's out there, that old bottle. I've traced it back, I think, to 1978 or 1980. Oh, man. Yeah. Is it open? No, it's definitely been corked, um, but it it doesn't look like it has a lot of evaporation out of it. The steel's still on top of it, but the cork is a little loose. Mm. Um, I I should probably just open it, but save it it when the Americans win the World Cup in a couple of years. (laughs) Even Maybe the FIBA World Cup, but I don't know about the football World Cup. I was wearing my Scotland jersey on a team call the other day, and our um, <laughs> head of like sales for California is Scottish. And he's like, we were starting our meeting. He's like, wait, what are you wearing? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, one of my good friends is Scottish, and he got drunk one night and ordered my wife and I kits. And he's like, isn't that a story, story time is true? Or, uh, it's true as time because, you know, a Scottish man drunk? Can't believe that. Yeah, there's so, there's so many dumb things that I've done. Like, Amazon is both a blessing and a curse. Oh, yeah. Right. Like, that kind of gets in the whole American commodifying of products right there. Again, yeah. It's yeah. like, well, you can't buy bourbon yet on Amazon, but now they're definitely trying. Oh, and that, that I know will, they are. That will change the game. I met, well, I, I mean, e commerce in general has completely changed the bourbon game as well. I mean, we went from, but I, I think it was 2016. Binnie's was actually doing this. They're shipping the states, like 26 states, and they're doing it legally. But then what happened, it was right around the time when Kentucky got their licensing to ship product from distilleries back to people's houses when they buy them on mm. premise at the distilleries, um, just like you can do at vineyards. Uh, the states started complaining that Binnie's or Illinois was collecting the tax revenue. Mm. So the states were like, well, we should get it that who the person bought the whiskey from and you're shipping it to. And Illinois is like, no, we should get it because it's being purchased in Illinois. Yeah, we purchased just, it on those it, it taxes. Just, it just kind of ended everything. And that was a lot of... But now, like DTC, what, there's thing, there's 40, 41 states you can ship to legally for out, without with uh, whiskey. And, you know, things like Sealbox and bar Legally cart. being the keyword there. Yeah, legally. Because we've all, we've all... I mean... Well, for anybody out there, uh, UPS doesn't care at all. They will literally, <laughs> if there's a broken bottle, they will repackage it, put it in a plastic seal, and send it back to you. No no complaints whatsoever. I, I mean, the e-commerce thing is definitely because, you know, before, let's call it 2015, 2016. But let's when, call it that. When it was, you know, when bourbon was starting to like, it was starting to rumble, right? Rumble in the jungle. It was a rumble in the thriller in Manila. Um before that, it was like you you relied on these really good local spots. Oh yeah, you at like, and you think people are going to local liquor stores often now? Oh my god, back then, mm-hmm. like, it was it was like you would go every day on the way home from work, and you'd be like, "What's the story?" Like, yeah, kind of, yeah. What you know? What what have you got? Is there something else coming in? And they'd be like, "Okay, Friday." And you'd be like, "Right, what time do I need to be here?" You yeah. know, um, and there's still a bit of that, but people are buying so much stuff online now. Yeah, I mean, there still there still is that. Don't be wrong. Like the 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 dads line up at Benny's every Wednesday, still waiting for that shipment and asking what they got. It's funny if you go in there on a Wednesday. Yeah, the the Buffalo Trace Hunters. Ooh, I like that. Um, there probably is a few Facebook groups called that. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. So is bourbon gonna die? I don't think it's gonna die. I think it's maybe like Are, is bourbon dead? <laughs> I think it's maybe. And that was that was a small issue I had with single bar the single barrel conversation. Like, oh, you, it, they're never going to die, right? No, no, but it's like that wasn't the point. Of the yeah, exactly, exactly. But it's like 
you know, I, I, I agree with this thing where it's like you, you reach critical mass and then people tire of it quickly. Yeah. Um, it takes a long time to develop a new generation of drinkers. Yeah. I mean, I've, we've seen that all throughout, let's just start, you know, post prohibition, but at the same time, will these group of, is it Gen Z? Are you Gen Z? I'm millennial. You're millennial. Yeah. I'm millennial. I don't wait. Like we're not, you're not that much older than me. It's true. Uh, it's Gen Z below us, right? Yes. It's millennial up to 96, 97. And then I think it's Whatever Gen that Z. generation is below us, like, Gen will Z. they be drinking whiskey in their, like, mid, their late 20s, early 30s? But they're all into tequila, though. Right. In RTDs and. I mean, the RTD thing's good, but I think, like, you also are going to get to a stage when it's like, I don't want to drink five of these sweet, canned, fizzy drinks. Yeah. And instead, I just want to drink one or two of. I had a margarita one that was pretty good the other day but i like couldn't even finish it yeah they're so sweet yeah i'm like this is tasty i enjoy it but at the same time i can't drink all the sugar water and that's the thing and that's that's what's starting to happen like or that's what you'll start to see happen i mean rtds have already slowed down massively yeah but they've they've bitten into a big chunk of the pie already yeah you know they've taken up i remember you know Shankin they have an entire what, entire row now at Binnie's. yeah they have an entire section where like they used to be kind of at the end by the beer so over the pandemic i remember reading one day i think it was the shankin or the mark brown report mm. and it was like they were growing like year on year like 590 percent yeah it was something ridiculous it was mental and also like every week you were hearing about new new brands that had popped up and even now like the amount of money that brands like neutral are pumping in yeah like they have a fucking they have a they've marketing everywhere every sports event is just covered in neutral you know the n-u-r-t-r-l yeah no n-u-t-r-l yeah and it's it's crazy, and you, I feel like all of these big spirits brands, and I know that bourbon, or not even just bourbon, but American whiskey, tried its best to do this and launch their own. Like the Jack Daniels ones were everywhere for a while. Yeah, which they've been doing in other countries for decades. And I think I think like we tried to get a little bit, a little piece of that pie, but it was just the sweet sugar water was what was going to win the day. Mm-hmm. You know, Jameson launched one, and honestly, like it just. The all three of them are, are tasty, but you have one or two of them, and you're like, okay, yeah. I need a fucking real drink now, you know. It does. It still does disappoint me with such great passion and disdain for a group of twenty five year old dudes that are walking around on a Saturday afternoon to a party and they're carrying like three cases of White Claw. Yeah, like grow up. <laughs> I think there's also the thing though is that drinkers now. I mean, I know, I feel like when we were younger, we were just pumping like whatever it was we could get our hands on mm-hmm. to the, to the like limit of obliteration. Yeah. Cause like what was really being marketed towards the early young drinkers is like this vodka. Yeah. Like absolute and like all those flavor brands and shit. Yeah. I mean, where, where I'm from, it was like Captain Morgan's. Yeah. It was huge. Kind of. I don't know. I was wondering like, I was that like Jameson was massive. It was massive, but was it marketed towards us or just become a thing? I think it became a thing purely because people were like, oh, I'm from Ireland, you know. Oh. I'm Irish-American, man. And oh, then now yeah, we're yeah. seeing that with tequila. Uh-huh. Like there's so many, like, I don't want to say Mexican-Americans, but Latinos, Latinos that yeah. identify with that who are in their early 20s. Yeah. Like, so it's like, what's next? Do we find, is it soju? Is it baiju? Like, is these young Asian-Americans come through and they're like, 
I want to get smashed. Let's drink some rice water, you know? <laughs> Potentially. I guess. I, I, I always just wonder how much more can these bourbon, not bourbon, just whiskey distilleries in general press on because there's so much competition. Yeah. And you look, at, I was looking at a menu the other day. What was that? Oh, it was a new Italian restaurant in town, Lincoln Park. What's it called? Danucci's. Oh, yeah, I did see this. Yeah. Good. Yes, yeah, part of the is it Ballyhoo group, Ballyhoo, whatever they're called. They have like Cota de Velpe and um, Prime, some good restaurants. But they, uh, I think they had one whiskey cocktail on their six, seven, eight cocktail menu program. It was an old fashioned. It's sour, actually. Oh. Yeah, but it's also summertime too, so a little more. I, I think you know friendly make, towards that. You make a really good point about competition because not only is there competition with other spirits, you know, tequila right now is king, or agave you could say is king. Yeah, but there's also so much competition within localities within American whiskey within bourbon. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like, you know, we we're just saying two thousand and forty-two distilleries or whatever, right? Yeah. Ninety-five percent of them have got to be bourbon or whiskey for sure yeah you know and it's like that's another thing where it's like there's got to become a point of critical mass where yeah there are maybe 10 or 30 big big brands that you could see in any bar in the united states yep. or maybe even five if you go to some small town in fucking nebraska mm -hmm. um and you you can find probably five bottles of bourbon that you can find everywhere yeah right? But then beyond that, it's just local bourbons. And it's like, well, how do you make the next step as a local bourbon? Or how do you make the next step as a local company? Yeah. Because it's not through taste. It's not through taste. I, I, like, you could have the best taste in bourbon in the United States. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have the distribution, if you don't have the backing, if you don't have all these bits and pieces, then it'll, it'll fall around its ears. Yeah. You know? Um, that, like... I, what's the bet you know what for me some of the best tastes in bourbons that i've had or some of the best tastes in whiskeys that i've had they're still small 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 brands absolutely and that's one of the worries for me it's like these guys are just killing themselves year after year after year eventually that that eventually you're going to run out of steam that or you get bought out yes that's i suppose that's the big success factor right which is also i mean just funny how history does 100 percent completes itself that's yeah. what that's what happened in the late 1800s, what happened in the 1900s after prohibition and all this excess amount of whiskey was being made to make up for lost time and then started buying brands out. And then here we are today doing it again. But it also it also makes the question of how do distilleries, they want to say, yeah, we're, we're a brotherhood. We want to come up together and, you know, if one, one person's doing well, we can all do well. And that's to a certain point, that's very true. But then it also becomes, okay, now we both have multiple market managers in a big city and we're both on the back bar, but then one of you got a cocktail placement. And then yeah. that brand starts exceeding more and more in the cocktail scene, which really is what gives you your driving force to have bottles pushed out of your distributor and how you're going to promote sales and how you're going to make money at the end of the day by getting on cocktail menus, which I always hate because I'm like a purist when it comes to just talking about whiskey. I love cocktails, whiskey cocktails, but at the same time, you become more of a... I'm, never mind. I'm not going to get into that. But, uh, <laughs> personal stuff. Uh, you don't want to be a liqueur. <laughs> no, I just, it's a different side of the job. Yeah. But, you know, as one of our friends, and I'll name brands and names out of this, or leave them out of this, but I had a friend ask me about a buyer at a place that's become a nice little spot for me. And, 
he's like, what's that guy's name that's running this place there now? And I was really hesitant to text him and be like, oh, here's that buyer's name because I, I don't want you to come in and take anything from what I've developed. Like, it's really hard what we do. Not hard as in, you know, working in a steel mill yeah or something like that or laying concrete all day but it's hard to develop it's hard it's difficult to develop a brand Mm -hmm. and build a brand yeah and it's crazy as well i gave it to him at the end of the day but (laughs) we know you did (laughs) but um begrudgingly but um it's so hard in these markets again it comes down to competition yeah um but you know i was just thinking to myself there there is only so much pie. To, like, you know, they say the, the rising tide lifts all the ships. Yep. But at the end of the day, like, eventually the water's going to start going over the pier. Yeah, right? yeah. And the boats are going to fall all over the place and crash into each other and everything like that. Yeah. So it's like, you know, what is the next step? Do we keep trying to grow bourbon? Uh-huh. Right? And But then do we then, it has to be exported. Has to be. Probably. And then you're looking at like, right, where are ne- where are the next big places? You know, I know that Latin America is South to, America. Yes, yeah. Latin America started to fall in love with bourbon, right. right? And that's like, I have friends from Argentina, and they were messaging me the other day about bourbon. So oh, really? Like, it's funny. And they're like, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't bourbons that, you know, five years ago they would message you about. Right. Instead, it was the like one of them asked me about Blantons, <laughs> and I'm like, don't even get me started. Don't even start with that shit. You don't start there. Yeah, exactly. That <laughs> you're drinking you're drinking old granddad, mate. Like that's where you should be. Or yeah. even like the gyms and the jacks of the world. You got so much more until you need to be there. You yeah. Don't, exactly. You don't need to be there. Don't, don't worry skip about... the line. Yeah. Okay? yeah. <laughs> don't start so, taking blandings so from people in America. So much good stuff already out there. <laughs> because if you want World War Three, that's the best way to start it. Yeah, it's it's also, you know, the American brands went to Europe, obviously, Japan, and Australia for the exportation of bourbon in the 80s and the 90s, a supplement for the lack of sales here in the U.S. So it's just going to, I think, like you said, a critical mass, then where else do you go? And there's other markets that still absolutely love bourbon. Like, go to Australia, and I know people that go there to buy bottles and come back and sell them in America because they can't find them in America. And they they pay a hefty price, but they know they can flip it for a lot of money back here in the States. So I mean, what's Asia like with bourbon? It's big, yeah. I mean, I know we don't even know what China. We, no one will know what China is because we can't really get real numbers. Yeah. So who knows? It's an untapped market of a billion people, and then the biggest single malt drinking war, uh, culture is India. Yeah. yeah. Um. So if like you could ever get into there with whiskey that's not single malts and Bourbon become huge. Be, yeah. I mean, I feel and like I think, as well with the 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 flavor the flavor profile of bourbon, it would crush it in India. Yeah, was, like their number one, our number one selling. It's not even whiskey; it's maybe molasses, but it's called Officers Club. Yeah, and it has a whiskey flavor to it, and they they call it whiskey over right. there. And I think it's at like I honestly think it's at thirty million cases Jeez. in India, which is just like, <laughs> and they they have it in the Dominican. They have it in like I know they the Dominican uh, they they go over to Haiti and buy bottles of it and bring it over. Um. But it's like, I mean, it's a one-way ticket to like the worst hangover of your life. It's so sweet. Yeah, that's the problem. Sugar. Sugar. Oh, well, all right. Cool. I'm glad to have your perspective of bourbon. Yeah, it's not a great one, unfortunately. Sorry no, for everyone okay. that's big into their bourbon, but this is a bourbon. No, I think it, it, it kind of encapsulates the entire conversation. It's tiring. <laughs> <laughs> you had to hear first, ladies and gentlemen.
Have a tight and perfect. See you next week. See you next week.